welcome to another episode of Sicker Than Most. I'm your host, Steve, and today I have a friend here, Ariana. We're recording out here in Gilroy, California, and um, I don't know much about Ariana other than the brief conversation we had right before we set up the microphone, so this is we're, we're all going to get to know Ariana at the same time. So, um, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. So, right off the bat, um, four years of sobriety... Three. Three, sorry. Three. Um, three years of sobriety. Um, a strong member in AA? Do you do AA, NA? AA. AA, okay. All right. Alcoholic? Yes. There we go. All right. So introduce us for you. You know. Let's Hi, my know name is Ariana. I'm yeah. an alcoholic. There we go. <laughs> my sobriety date is January 1st, 2017. I have a sponsor. She has a sponsor. I have one sponsee who's uh in her 60s which is fun because i'm 25 <laughs> interesting, interesting. Um, do you guys meet in aa or do you guys just meet through like mutual connections we met in aa yes okay all mm-hmm. right all right so what you said you said before the show too that you had like a, you had a great family mm-hmm. like a great upbringing you yes. know um talk to us about like what what do you think makes an alcoholic because if it wasn't your upbringing what was it mm-hmm Yeah, there's the whole debate about like if you're born an alcoholic or if you become an alcoholic over time, and I don't really know the answer to that, but um, for me, I always knew it was a possibility because my dad is also an alcoholic, um, and he's been in recovery for 23 years, Um, but growing up, he, he started AA when I was little, and then after a few years, he stopped going. Um, so I didn't know that much about Alcoholics Anonymous. I just knew that that's what helped him get sober. Um, but I didn't grow up in the rooms or anything. And, um, my mom, she's a marriage and family therapist. So she was the one to be like, be careful. You have like such a higher chance of having alcoholism because your father does and all that good stuff, which just kind of made me want to do it more when I hit that rebellious stage. Um, But yeah, I kind of always knew it was a possibility. Um, And I think that long before I started drinking, um, there were tendencies that were definitely alcoholic. Um, Did you feel like from the gate it was, you had the the tendencies or do you think they kind of, they grew as you started getting more and more rebellious? Yeah, as a child, I was a people pleaser, 100%. So, my dad and my mom had all that conflict when I was really little because of my dad's drinking. And so he and my mom separated when I was really little and I internalized it as something that I had done. Mm-hmm. Um, when in reality it was him and his own disease. Um, but I thought as long as, you know, I was the perfect daughter, then he would stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had that within me and, um, I think that's just naturally my personality too. I'm a rule follower and I like to make other people happy. So if I'm, if I'm doing a good job in like class or with family, then, um, I get a lot of love, which I loved. Um, and then I think it was around middle school and I started to get a little bit more rebellious because I was really influenced by external factors. And I thought like, like friends and stuff like that, uh, friends, media, like what I thought, was a cool or fun kind of life based on what I had like seen or read about um and so that's kind of when it when my my alcoholic tendencies took off and I stopped believing that my parents had all the answers and I wanted to you know kind of pave my own way Mm -hmm. and and so when middle school rolled around was that when you started actually like like drinking or what did the alcoholic like tendencies look like because I mean, like for for someone who doesn't know like what what they are, right? Like, you you know, for someone who like has no clue, basically they the alcoholic tendencies are like, and correct me if I'm wrong, they're the like the manipulation, the people pleasing, those types of things that are exhibited when you start drinking. Mm-hmm. But like for alcoholics, like we can show those signs like even before we start to, for our first drink. Yeah, well, if people-pleasing is one of them, then I've just since birth been an alcoholic. But um, the other behaviors that started showing up were like manipulation, dishonesty, um, just kind of learning what to say in order to get my way um, without getting too many people upset. 
Right. Now, now this was, this is kind of something that like, I've always like looked at too, like in myself and I guess kind of in other people too, about like the behaviors, right. That like the, the manipulative behaviors, were those taught to you in your childhood or were those things that kind of just popped up out of like, no, naturally, naturally. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Naturally. I remember a time when I was like in kindergarten and I got really mad at this girl and I like pushed her down and I had never done anything wrong. And so the teacher blamed me when I said I didn't do it. Um, But like that's still like I had to ask my sponsor like today if that was something I had to make Make amends amends for (laughs) because it's still in my memory. (laughs) Yeah, because it's like no no one. um, The reason why like I always like think about it is because like no one teaches us those types of behaviors. Mm -hmm. Like they're all like that's like kind of like the. I want to say genius but it kind of is like the intelligence of an alcoholic is we learn how to get our way from like a very early age but but no one even needed to teach us a lot of these behaviors like they just come like second nature almost yes you know absolutely so when okay so when um like you're in middle school and those those behaviors start to come out more um how much longer was it till like you started actually like drinking and using i didn't start drinking and using until i was 15 or 16 years old so, okay. so it was couple, a few years, years in between yeah, yeah. yeah okay and then how did how did that start was it something you sought out or was was it kind of like it was just there one day um I'd always I was always in a hurry to grow up so um alcohol and drinking seemed like a grown-up thing to do so whenever there was the opportunity I'd kind of take it so like my first drink was at my grandparents fifth wedding anniversary and my cousin gave me a glass of champagne like toasting wise Mm -hmm. so I was like so hyped about that (laughs) I can toast with all the adults (laughs) like I'm finally getting there um and I think I had a sip and then my mom took it away (laughs) it had no effect buzzkill (laughs) yeah actually literally um but yeah I think the first time I got drunk um it was more I knew I liked to drink, but I never sought it out. Um, it was my friends and the environment and then the opportunities started to arise. And as soon as I saw them as possibilities, I was like, yes, like, yes. this is what I want, okay. finally. All right, all right. <laughs> and then and then, how much longer that, like, did you start, like, exhibiting, like, the drinking behavior of, of an alcoholic? And another question, too. Mm-hmm. Are you an addict? I am an addict. Okay. Um, I actually got high before I got drunk. Um, okay. I was at a on a camping trip with friends, and this guy offered me an edible, and I didn't really know what was what would it, what it was all about. Um, but it was really fucking strong. I don't know if it was laced with anything, but I hallucinated hardcore. Like I was in an underwater alien invasion. Oh, it wow. was. It lasted for a while. I um, I don't know if I was high for like. A few days after if it was just the hangover or whatever but it like really really affected me so i'm sure i killed a bunch of brain cells then wow all right one hell of an edible yes <laughs> and so so did that like after that first experience did you notice like you were like oh dude i want to do that again or were you kind of just like well that was a little too much i showed up to school so like sunday i was like still out of it and then on monday i showed up to school with like my hoodie on and my headphones in and like no one bothered me which was so out of character for me because i'm always like really outgoing and bubbly and it's so like my, a whole mood shift after. yeah mm-hmm. what was it like a persona you were trying to like portray or were you just like just i don't don't talk to me like i feel like shit uh both it was oh. like uh i feel like shit um but i'm also like i'm pretty cool for feeling this way there you go <laughs> okay so it was almost like it was almost like that that uh i don't know what's the word like the like you you were be like finding yourself yeah. right like you were like tr- you were like trying out this new yeah. new form exactly okay exactly all right and then so how much later did that from that did it like escalate to like um well then i was like well i might as well like start smoking if i already had an edible <laughs> so, there you go um, and then after i smoked for the first time then i got drunk for the first time okay so it was like pretty quickly pretty yeah quickly within after. this all happened like probably march april and then like i was full on getting drunk like by the summertime oh wow okay so it was like it was like right off back. yeah and and any time in that um i like... was also going through a terrible period of depression too i okay. i've suffered from depression since i was 10 years old 
Um, you finally found like this. What would you say? Because a lot of people say it's like, it's like a like at least for me too. It was a light switch. It was. I felt like someone's like flipped the light. Like first time getting loaded. It's just like it's like, dude, this is what I've been missing. Yes. Like I'm no longer sad. I'm no longer anxious. I'm no longer depressed. Like everything's fine. Exactly. Yeah. And for me, like I, because I'm such a people pleaser, my mind was going 100 miles an hour all the time. Mm-hmm. So when I drank or used, like that was the only time I could fully relax and shut my mind off. So it was like exactly what I needed. And I thought that because I was working so hard that I deserved that kind of right. treat or reward right. or whatever right. it was. And so, so then like, you know, like moving forward into like the daily, did you ever think about when like your mom was like, oh, well, you could be, you know, you could be an alcoholic, right? Did that ever cross your mind? Like, oh shit, this might be a problem. Or was it not until like later, like more serious consequences? Yeah, it wasn't until much, much later. Okay. All right. Um, so what, what I, as it, soon as I got my license, as soon as I started driving. Oh, and you get the freedom? Oh yeah. I was. <laughs> off to the races. Exactly. Off to the races. Yeah. And so what did that progression look like? Um, that summer my friend and her parents invited me to go to Cabo with them so I was 16 had the braces and everything but that didn't stop us from sneaking out at night going to all the clubs well they don't they hardly card down there right (laughs) no they don't yeah so you're yeah Yeah, so I I had a a hell of a time down there and I was like I have arrived (laughs) I have arrived that's right and then um how much longer after that before there was any like form of like consequences Consequences didn't really hit until college. College, okay. And this was still high school period, right? Yes. Okay, high school period. So then you get into college. Did you go local here in the Bay Area? Yeah, I went to Santa Clara University. Oh, nice, nice. Um, and then... Which I was pissed about because I why? wanted to get as far away from oh, home as possible. Yeah. I grew place. up in San Jose, so I was like, this is way too close to home, but... I got, it's a dope school, though. Yeah, I got a really good scholarship, full ride almost. Yeah. I couldn't turn it down. There you go. There you go. And then, um, obviously, we know, like, the party scene there is nuts. Which I had no idea about prior to really? going there. Yeah. I was not someone that had, like, gone there during high school to party. I had no idea. Huh. And then the first week I got there, and I was like, oh, my God. I've arrived again. I have arrived. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, so, that was, like, would you say that was, like, kind of, like, just, like, the lighter fluid or the, the gasoline just thrown on the fire at that point yeah living on my own and like no one one caring (laughs) what i'm doing and yeah just totally being a free bird to go off and do whatever the fuck i want anytime i want um yeah it was and then so so after that like you said college like what like did you have like the regular like college kind of like consequences where like you know you like start slipping in class you know in I'm a very high-functioning alcoholic. (laughs) Must be nice. (laughs) (laughs) So um, even in in high school, like, I was able to keep up grades. Like, I graduated with, like, a 4.45 and had all of these awards. And, I mean, part of the reason I got to go to Santa Clara with, like, almost um, full ride was because I had worked so hard in high school. Um, And then in college, it was kind of no different. Um, I joined a sorority. I never got in trouble drinking in the dorms. I was, I was too, too good to get caught for that. Um, and yeah, I was kind of doing everything by the book. Mm -hmm. Um, so my, my drinking didn't seem like a problem. Wow. And you're drinking every day at this point? No, I, so because my dad's an alcoholic, I had set these certain rules for myself. Um, that I told myself I'd never cross or else then I would be an alcoholic. Right. So they would be like, don't drink every day. Don't drink by myself. Don't drink when I was sad and a few others. Um, and so of course, did, did you come up with those on your own or did, did like you do some research and figure out like, Oh no, this is what alcoholics do. I'm not going to do that. Probably a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, my mom had told me, she's like, you have depression, like careful, like alcohol messes with your like, it's an antidepressant kind of thing. And I was like, okay, like, I get that. But I never knew when I was depressed before I got into it, like, way too deep. So okay. it wasn't like I could actually help that. And then the drinking alone part was not a problem in college because... Uh, you cannot find... <laughs> walk down the street, dude. Yeah, I made <laughs> a lot no of friends. if no one wants to drink, you could go down <laughs> over by, what, Santa Clara Street and find someone on the side of the street to drink with. Exactly. They're there. They're there. And I prided <laughs> myself on my drinking abilities because I had practiced in high school. And so okay. the fact that I could keep up with all the, like, guys at the frats, um, I thought gave me, like, cred, but was just really dumb actually (laughs) looking back 
At least, at least you know, you don't get drunk under the table. I thought I was like a feminist for being like, girls can drink just like guys can. <laughs> that was like my point I was trying to prove. Solving gender equality one shot of Hennessy at a time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Do your part. Do your part. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then when you're, um, when you're in college too, like what, okay, like so you're doing everything right by the book, right? You're putting up this, this like... Facade. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is what the world sees or your parents see and what society sees Ariana, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but, like, what was going on inside? Like, you mentioned, like, depression and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. what were those, like, feelings that, like, well, obviously they were getting worse as you're drinking? Yes. Like, what did that all that look like? Well, so the first year of college was great. So much fun. Like, definitely got into some shit, but, like, no real consequences. Mm-hmm. Summer going into sophomore year, um, I got raped. I was sexually assaulted. Um, I hate using the word rape, but it, that's what it was. Um, and I think it's important to use it because um, I couldn't identify it as such when it had happened. Um, and that's kind of when the drinking went from, like, just having a good time and relaxing to, like, medication. Right. It was, um, it was the coping skill. Exactly. Yeah, right, yeah. And it wasn't just, like, one isolated event. It, like, different sexual assault instances happened throughout that summer and going into sophomore year as well. Um, and so my mental health was, like, plummeting. And um, my solution was drinking a lot and, um, you know, trying to get control of my life in other ways, like um, finding sorry to be crass, but like a fuck buddy, like someone that I could like hook up with consistently so that like I could have that control in my life. Right. Um, cause as a girl, you're, you know, it's not good to hook up with as like a lot of people. So I wanted to keep that. Well, and the college scene too. It's like, so like, it's just out there. Like yeah. everyone hooks up with like everyone. And that's the yeah. other thing is like, I was always wanting to cover up my feelings by like it was always a game of like who cared less, right? Uh-huh. That's the hookup culture. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, by just having a fuck buddy, I could have someone to have sex with without like getting attached or having feelings. Because mm-hmm. um, I couldn't even handle my own feelings at that point. Right. And was any of this like identifiable at the time or was it all like you just thought that this is, this is normal? This, yeah, I thought it was normal. I um, suppressed it like so hard. Um, it didn't. I didn't realize everything that had happened and the gravity of it until I got sober. Mm-hmm. And I started having flashbacks at uh, AA meetings. So, and AA kind of brought out all those things. Like, what? Well, actually, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, in a yeah. Bit. Yeah. So, okay. So, you're now, you know, sophomore in high school, all, or excuse me, college. Mm-hmm. Um, all this stuff's happening, you know, and it's getting like, it's building up, it's building up, it's building up. What, what was like kind of like the breaking point? Like, because, okay, like, when when alcoholics have like a facade up right and everything looks good and they're like in control like you were saying of certain things like it makes it harder for us to realize we have a problem yes because like that constant denial and that constant insanity where we just keep on bearing things keep on making things look better than they actually are keep on lying to ourselves in this delusion and so what what was like the breaking point yeah, and there's also that idea that, you know, um, alcoholics look a certain way or are a certain age or whatever it is. And so, like, no one in college considers themselves an alcoholic or as far as I knew. So easy to hide it. Yeah. 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 Everyone's an alcoholic yeah. in college. <laughs> in one form or another, pretty much. It's, yeah. al- it's not alcoholism until you graduate. That's what I kept telling myself. Sounds good. Yeah. I like that one. Um, I like that one. So the breaking point for me was my junior year. Um, I had... Studied abroad in Paris, which was nice. amazing. Um, but then I came back and like everything just got so much worse. And um, yeah, the depression got worse. I was in a relationship at that time that was getting bad. Um, and along with my increase in depression, the anxiety got really bad. So my sophomore year, the anxiety started, and I also got mono sophomore year. So the depression, anxiety, everything came on. How was okay? Quick sidebar. Yeah. How was drinking with mono? So I didn't drink with mono. Once I realized it was mono, I didn't drink for like three months, and okay. so that's why I thought I didn't have a problem. I was like, I can go for however long I want without drinking. That like it can't be a problem. Um, and then I started on antidepressants and started drinking at the same time right after mono. <laughs> 
Huh. Yeah, I started blacking out a lot more um, and a lot quicker. And yeah, which was some nights the goal, you know. Right, right, absolutely. And so, okay, so now you're now like you're at this point now. So was that junior year? That was sophomore, that was sophomore year. And then junior okay. year, I went to Paris, came back. Yeah, came back. Okay, that's right. Mental health was like horrible. And then um, it was it was so bad that I had stopped drinking because I was like, I can't drink right now. Like, I can't even get out of bed. I can't uh-huh. do anything. Um, and so I had stopped drinking for a period, but then my 21st birthday rolled around. And I was like, I have to drink on my 21st so birthday. So all this is before your legal drink? Yes. All this is before my okay. legal drink. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then... I use like... my fake ID more than my real ID. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So so was it like a like 21st birthday floodgates just open? Well, I was... I mean, I was in the middle of like terrible depression and anxiety, but because 21 is like the big thing to celebrate, I kind of ignored all that and I was like, I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to like pretend like nothing's wrong. Uh-huh. And the next day I ended up in the hospital because I was having panic attack after panic attack. Oh, wow. Okay. And so then is that kind of like the, was that like the breaking point? You would think, but. No, went, went further? Okay. Talk my mom, my mom at that point was like, okay, I think you're an alcoholic. And I got so oh, mad That's right. Her. Because mom's at the mom's a therapist. therapist. Mm-hmm. Oh, so mom's going to know best. Mom knows or, and, best. And that's like the worst thing. Yeah. Yeah. When mom tells you something to do, it's like, don't. And it hurt me so deeply because I, oh, and I had been told and I was, I was an alcoholic by my sorority before that. <laughs> And I was like, fuck you guys. How could you say that? Don't turn on me like this. My dad's an alcoholic. I know what alcoholism is. I'm not an alcoholic. And same argument with my mom. What did your dad have to say through all this? My dad had always had a very hands-off approach. He has the mentality of like, I need to go learn my own lessons. So, I mean, he would always encourage me to like be safe and like really cared about me, but he wasn't going to stop me from doing anything. Like my mom wanted to save me from the world. He never tried to like 12 step you or anything like that. Did you do an AA meeting or any, or like anything like that? My parents didn't really understand how bad my drinking was because I did most of it away from home. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like one time my dad came to move me out of my dorm and I was a, I was a bedwetter towards the end. And so bed was wet and he was helping me move my mattress and he's like would you fucking get drunk and pee your bed and I'm like no (laughs) I did and he didn't say anything so there were like little hints he he had to have known he must have known yeah okay but he also probably knew that I needed to come to it on my own right just like I'm sure he came to it on his own exactly okay okay so fast forward a few months um I cheated on a boy on the boyfriend from the time and um just was and cheating was a big thing for me because um my dad had cheated on my mom when I was little and I have a half brother from that um and so I told myself I would never cheat on anyone because how could I do that I saw how much like it tore my family apart all this stuff um was that was that one of those things too that like with um the checklist of like an alcoholic okay Yes. How how was that like experiencing like the first check off or like the first check off the checklist? Well, I did it in my first relationship uh, in high school and my second relationship in college. Was but was it like kind of just like brought to your attention that last time? Well, it happened a few times. So yeah. But like like for the like to be like oh shit I might actually have a problem. It wasn't that in and of itself that showed me I had a problem. Um. It, it was a contributing factor for sure. Okay. Um, I hated myself. I thought I was a terrible person because I did that. Um, I never really, yeah, I don't, I didn't equate it with the alcoholism at all. Um, I thought, because my, the guy I was dating at the time was like, you know, drunk actions or sober thoughts or whatever. And so he was like, alcohol doesn't really have anything to do with it. Um, but looking back, I never would have done ev- all of the things that I did when I was drinking had I, um, anyway. And so uh, the, it was the welcome weekend of my senior year and welcome weekend at Santa Clara is like huge, like blowout. And, um, the thing that helped me realize I had a, had a problem was I told myself I would never, like I, I smoked weed and I drank, but I didn't do any other drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that weekend I was just like, so out of it so lost like so just yeah just right. taken just by the not disease yourself yeah that um 
my friends were out like doing cocaine and they were like, do you want some? And I told myself I would never try cocaine because you can die from the first time, all of that stuff. Um, and at that point I was just like, I don't care if I live or die, if I, I'm just going to do this because fuck it all. Um, and I had had suicidal thoughts like before through the depression. Um, but now it was a lot more, um, intense behaviors. Mm. And so after that, um, that was kind of like my own line that I had drawn for myself. And I was like, (laughs) figuratively and literally. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, and then, and then a a few friends reached out as well. Um, my big friend, my sorority and a few other friends and they were like, they didn't say anything about like that I was an alcoholic, but they were like, Hey, we're really worried about you. Like it, you don't seem like yourself, um, what's going on. And so that kind of helped me take a step back and look like, okay, I, I'm not myself. What is happening with me and my life? And I'm just wasting everything away. So then after all these things are happening, what was that initial like action of change? Like what, what was like the, the, the point in which you like, did you reach out for help? Like, did they kind of get forced into help? Like, how, how did that look like? I called my mom and asked her, because she's a therapist. So I've always had free therapy like, my whole life. <laughs> nice. She was like, go to an AA meeting. And um, I knew that there was an AA meeting on campus at Santa Clara. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Was it the Burnout Broncos at the time? Like, it was wasn't. That, was Burnout Broncos even a thing? At the it time? became a thing um, that year, later on. Oh, nice. um, so I was like right in the beginning of it. Um, okay. I yeah, I was one of the first members that they helped get sober. Nice, nice. Um, so I checked out the meeting, and it was just me and the secretary, who was just an old staff guy <laughs> that works at the school, and no one else was there. It was in the law building. It was super hard to find. Is this um, just you two? It's just me and him, yeah. Wow. And how'd, how'd the meeting go? Was it a, was it a, what type of format? It was, you know, he followed the script and everything, but it was more like uh, we'd read a little bit and then he'd share about his story and then I kind of shared mine and then we'd go back and forth like that. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so there was no hiding. <laughs> was there, did you get anything out of the meeting? Or was it kind of just a blur? Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. After that meeting, I knew I was an alcoholic because everything that he said resonated so deeply with how I was feeling. Not the instances and like his experiences exactly, but the feelings. I was like... Oh my gosh, it was just a a huge sense of relief because I'd always known that there was something that I couldn't figure out about myself that was making life harder to live. Um, And then, you know, kind of being able to pinpoint it like this one thing being alcohol was such a relief because it was something that I had the power to change. And isn't that crazy how like, like when you're in the, when you're in addiction and in the disease of it all, like you, you don't see that. Mm-hmm. until like the very very end like, and not only do you not see it like i fucking loved drinking like that that was my i was in a relationship with alcohol like that was my best friend right. and so when i had to stop it was like i had to grieve the loss of losing my best friend plus i ended up breaking up with that boyfriend at the same time right. and so i had to go through like it was a big period of grief yeah. um because whenever i couldn't handle my feelings and myself, I, you know, alcohol would, was there. I would go out and have a good time. Yeah. 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 And so after that was, after that AA meeting, was it like, was it like, okay, I'm going to go back to AA. Well, I'm going to do this. Was there a little like fear involved? Like, so the, um, the guy that was the secretary told me to check out other AA meetings in the area and especially women's meetings. So I went to a women's meeting and the particular one that I went to was women um, and they all seemed to be over the age of 70. Nice. So <laughs> I very, felt very relatable crowd. Yeah. I felt so out of place. <laughs> I was like, maybe AA is not for me, all this stuff. And so I stopped going to AA and I just didn't think that that would help or yeah. I didn't know if it was the answer for me. And I thought I can just white knuckle it, like not drink because I wasn't so far in my disease where I was like having physical manifestations of alcoholism. Were you shaking? I was not shaking. I didn't have DTs. I didn't have any of that. I just knew that when I drank, I could not determine the outcome. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so what, what happened from, from that point till like now sitting here with three years? 
Um, yeah. So this was like in October of 2016 when I realized all of this. I stayed sober till December. I went on a road trip up to Portland and I, oh, and during that time I thought I could still smoke weed. Um, so I, would, I managed to smoke weed and not drink for those few months, but then I did smoke weed in Portland and I ended up relapsing and drinking. Um, and so that kind of was the moment where I realized I can't do any kind of mind altering substance because it's going to lead me right back to the same place. Right. And so, so in, after you get back from Portland, how did you get back into AA after that? Like the idea that it's just a bunch of 70 year old women and Mm-hmm. It was the burnout Broncos. So shouts out the burnout Broncos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're doing a lot of great things on campus. I, I sat in a couple of meetings. They're pretty cool. Yeah, it. I mean, it saved me. It was amazing. Um, so December was Portland. I because I drove up there. I had to drive back all, all eleven hours by myself, and I had a like huge spiritual experience during that time. I was just kind of like, I'm done no more like for the rest of my life kind of thing i'm it's not worth it um and then my last drink was on new year's of 2017 because i was with high school friends and they're like you're never gonna drink again and i was like nope never and they're like well might as well like have a good experience last, for your did last you have a good last hurrah <laughs> it would it went out with a bang for good, sure <laughs> good you hear, you hear so much like the people like they're like oh i I didn't, I didn't get enough. Like I didn't get a good last one in, you know? Oh, I did. Okay, good. I All did. Right. It was, so, yeah. So January 1st, 2017. January 1st, 2017. God-given sobriety date. Yes. There you go. It's super easy to remember. That is pretty easy, yeah. <laughs> um, and then a few months, I think it was maybe a month after that, um, that I, my friend told me about this group that was starting on campus. Uh, collegiate recovery, it was called at the time. And it was uh, other students that had been sober for a little bit, uh, just getting together once a week and hanging out. And so I thought I would check it out. Yeah, because it's not so much a it's not so much a um, an, a meeting as it is more of like a support group. Exactly. They it don't follow. Shows, the... you, shows you you can have fun and sobriety, and people can actually be sober in college. Exactly. Which is it's not a meeting format. Yeah. It's super casual. It's yeah. like for everybody that wants to learn, you know, what it is that alcoholism or addiction is, and. Um, and so, yeah, I went to a few of those meetings. The people were really awesome. That was the first time that I saw people my age in recovery. Um, and so I finally felt like, okay, maybe I'm not too young to, to shake this thing and all that stuff. And, um, I started having fun. Those were like the only times that I was really enjoying myself anymore because I was living in a house with six other girls in my sorority and they all drank and used just as heavily as I used to. But they used to tell you you were the alcoholic? I mean, they didn't say that, in, like, specifically, but they did. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to throw them under the bus. All right, we won't. Right. <laughs> moving on, moving on. They, none, none of them, as far as I know, are in recovery. Um, like, they can, yeah. And so, um, yeah, none of them are alcoholics that I know. Um, and so... Well, I mean, plus two, they're in college. Exactly. So, like, if you can... That was just the norm. You can pump the brakes on it. I guess it's chill. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So, but I was in that house and that was the only thing we did for fun was like go out and get wasted. And and so I wasn't really enjoying myself anymore when I would go out with them because I couldn't drink. Would you just like look forward to each... Because you said it was once a week. Mm-hmm. So you'd like, look, let you just be like, look forward to it. Like, I just got to make it through the week so I can get back to the, the meeting. At or first, no. At first, no. I, it was uncomfortable um, to like enter a space like that where people were just so honest. And I was still really unfamiliar with what like recovery was all about and stuff. And I just felt like such a newbie. And um, Well, in the first time, like when you get into a group like that, especially like at a young age, like, you know, in college. Like, there's not a lot of, like, genuine relationships or, like, people that are, like, genuinely care about you like people in recovery do. Mm-hmm. That was, like, that's a trip to see. Yeah. You know? They would check on me when I was, like, late to a meeting or I missed a meeting and I was not used to that kind of accountability right. whatsoever. So, yeah, I'm sh- slowly but surely I, like, opened up to them. They told me about their experiences in the program and that's what led me back to AA. Okay. I was finally, like, okay, I'm ready to give this another shot they at least give you some like young people meetings or send you back to the 70 year olds there were young people meetings (laughs) women's meetings all kinds of meetings cool cool and so now like what is it like being like a young person in 
AA. Um, and especially like for someone who like like is there's a few people who listen who are thinking about getting sober, mm-hmm. right? And um, they just don't see any reality in it, right? You know, so like, what do you what do you or they not they don't see it? Shouldn't say that. They just they have they just seem like they have a lot of questions for me, and I, some of them I just. I don't, I don't know. Is <laughs> it worth it? Yeah. yeah. No, so for like, sure. So what's, what's your experience about being like a young person in AA? Like, Yeah. At first I was pissed because everyone in an AA seemed to be older and I thought like I had my whole 20s to drink and have fun and have a good time. But drinking and using wasn't fun anymore for me. It would just you, leave you, me. You, compa- you compacted that whole 20s into a couple years. Five years. That's five years. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah five years. Yeah. Five years. I mean, it's. Fast, it's, fast tracked it. You got yeah. it out the way. And then now you're now you're an AA. Yeah, and Ooh, I that thought that rhymed. That was a, that was a bar. There we go. Okay. I thought uh, my life was over. I was never gonna have fun again. Like, um, but I realized like I would get like high on life. Like I would enjoy little things. I mean, obviously it took a while. The first few months are really rough. Um, but slowly but surely, like I trusted that things would get better, and they got so better and the best times that I had when I was drinking like now the times that I have sober like far surpass the joy of those moments um and it's not fleeting you know it's it's not when I wake up in the morning it's all gonna be downhill from here it's like I remember what happens uh what happened the night before every time I go to sleep and that relief and that ability to be able to trust myself again and like feel safe going out into the world you know, considering what had happened, it's not safe for women, like, to drink to a blackout. And unfortunately, I know way too many girls that have had terrible instances like myself. And um, and then also, like, suicide. Like, a lot of people have taken their life using or from depression. or um, And so I'm just – I was really grateful to not be one of those. And um, it happened my senior year uh, – a guy that I knew from Santa Clara had, um, had passed away. And, um, this was like two or three months into my sobriety. And that shocked me because I was like that, I was so close to to that being me, you know? And, um, I wasn't about to like let my opportunity to get sober be wasted. Right. Right. Now, um, that's something I want to talk about too, is about how, so, you know, when you were drinking and using, you were just very depressed and suicidal. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how, how was the turnaround after getting sober? Was it like right off the bat? I know you said you had a, like a spiritual like experience driving back, like mm-hmm. uh, when, when you when you were about to get sober. But how, um, how did the like, how did you turn it around? Because obviously you're not depressed now, <laughs> and you don't want to kill yourself now, right? Yeah. How how um, how did that go for you? It's, you know? It was a combination of things. And an- another thing too is like for people who are listening who do struggle with like suicide and depression and stuff, like it's you know like when we're in it, we don't think it can, we don't think it's ever going to get better. Yeah, we don't. You know, that's just how it is. Like we just think that this is going to be how the rest of our life is, right? And and even when we see people who have made it through it, I still think like, nah, you're you're full of shit. Yeah, you're not. You are not like me, right? Mm-hmm. So like, how how did your how did you know how were you able to turn it around? Um, yeah, I, so my addiction manifested itself in a different way before I joined AA again. Like I started to like hook up with people and that was like my form of escape because like sex releases the same kind of endorphins and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, considering what had happened to me, like that makes sense of me trying to control that kind of aspect of my life. Um, and so I, I knew when I came back to the – or actually, that's what led me to go back to AA again, mm-hmm. um, was the young people in recovery from that group, the Burnout Broncos, and then that experience of me seeing my addiction manifesting in another way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once I got back to AA, I knew, like, it was not going to be easy and I had a lot of work to do, but that it would be worth it because I couldn't have possibly felt worse <laughs> right. than I had already been feeling. Um, and so it was a combination of – you know, just doing my best in whatever they told me in the rooms, um, listening to my sponsor, um, doing therapy, um, working on myself, and just like really connecting with my higher power again. Because I had been raised Catholic, I always believed in God, but 
a lot of the things in Catholicism didn't sit right with me. Um, so now I identify much more as spiritual than religious. Um, and the cool thing that AA taught me was that you can, you can have that relationship with God without all the rules and the guilt and the shame and the judgment. Um, and so I started to slowly come to my own understanding of what God and higher power means to me. And that also helped relieve so much of my um, anxiety and worries and um, helped me have a lot of faith that things would get better. Right, right. And so when, um, when you're, you're in recovery and you, do, and you have that, that like connection with you know, that, the, the, the God of your understanding, um, would, does that help to like the depression and stuff like that? Yeah. Like is that is that something that like you you lean like more heavily on for the depression or was it kind of like because it seems like you did do a lot of work on yourself. Yes. Too like after getting sober, was it like a combination of the both or what? Like what do you feel like really like helped change from depressed to like happy and like full of joy and like you you said you said too I think you mentioned that like you don't you don't worry about life anymore like you know mm. you're 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 not scared of life anymore. Right. Like you're excited for it. Yeah. Like, so how, um, w w was it all like a part of it or did it kind of like work itself out too? If that, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, obviously circumstances make depression better or worse. Mm -hmm. Um, I still, you know, have depression, but I take medication and that's been a big help. Um, I think I, so I managed to graduate college again, super high functioning, summa cum laude. Graduated. <laughs> what was, that's another question too. I'm gonna go off on a sidebar here yeah. too, for like college kids that are struggling or who have gotten sober, right, and are trying to figure out college sober now. Yeah. Was it harder or easier, like, to go about school, like schoolwork, tests, those types of things, sober or drunk? And it seems like a silly question, but like. I know for me, like in high school, like I, in high school, like if I was not loaded, I couldn't do a test. Like I just sucked. Mm. Like I could not do the test. Like what, what were your kind of things? Like, was it easier when you got sober to do the schoolwork or harder? Um, I think it was harder. I mean, the classes and tests and the work itself was easier because, um, I was starting to think a little bit more clearly. Um, the hard part was in between learning how to relax because I had, um, I didn't have alcohol or anything to kind of shut my brain off anymore. Um, and so that made it harder because, um, yeah, I just, I was always thinking and, um, yeah, I couldn't relax. And, and so with things like papers and things like that, where you kind of have to just start to get going with them, it was hard because my anxiety would stop me from doing that. So, um, and like procrastinate to the last minute too. Exactly. Exactly. So it, it was easier in some ways and harder in others. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of like a mixed bag, like, you know, something, something. Okay. All right. So back to, sorry for the sidebar, back to, back to what we were talking about. So like, after you graduate college, right, sober, like what, like what happened after that? Um, I graduated college. I started a job um, doing public relations for a virtual reality tech startup, Super Silicon Valley. Nice. <laughs> um, that summer. Did, um, it, did it work out? Like, is this company still around? Uh, not really. Oh. <laughs> so cool experience, though. Yeah, super yeah. cool experience. Um. And then, and during that time, I went to CDRP at Kaiser. Um, Is that like the outpatient? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, because I was, I knew I was going to France in the fall. So before oh, getting... So going to France again? Yeah. Okay, another study abroad program? Um, I was going to teach English there for a year. Nice. Yes. So before going to France, I wanted to like learn as much about alcoholism and recovery as possible. So kind of like a crash course. So I went to Kaiser to like educate myself as much as I could so that I had a better chance of staying sober abroad. Um, and so I went to France and it was awesome because I got connected like right away. 
one of the first weekends there was an AA convention in a few towns over from mine. Really? Yeah. Like a worldwide or just kind of France's version of it? European. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Was so, the language barrier hard? It was English. Even better. Yes. There you go. So I met my um, first sponsor that took me through all the steps there. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. That's and awesome. Um, yeah, because prior to that, I had been kind of working the steps. Not really. I had like two sponsors before, um, but I had never gotten through all of them. Okay. So when I got to France, I got that sponsor and we connected on a spiritual level. Um, nice. And she kind of... Yeah, she was exactly who I needed, and she helped me heal so much. And so we got through the steps. Um, she had me do another thing afterwards called the Artist's Way, which was amazing. Is that another, like... Um, it's not a recovery thing. But is it, like, a personal development, like, kind of, like, just, yes. like, growing as a person thing? It's okay. connecting back to your creativity and playfulness, and that really helped spark the joy in my life again, too. Awesome. So you say that, that like, what was it called again? The Artist's Way. Artist's Way. Is it, like, a... Is it a book? Is it like a group? It's is this it... woman in recovery. Well, she's sober also. She's in recovery. And so she wrote this book. Um, she, she was always an artist. Uh-huh. Uh, she got sober and then she wanted to kind of create this program for other people um, to show, to kind of get back to the relationship with themselves. And would you say that you're what, like growing up, you were an artistic person? I think when I was little, yes. Yeah, and then it just kind of got lost through. Yes. Addiction. Okay, so you're able to bring it back. Oh, that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, because I think the big thing for me was when I was in my disease, the only thing that mattered was my external appearance. As long as, like, I looked fine on the outside, I was cool. Like, I could be dying on the inside, which I was, um, and it didn't really matter. And the biggest thing that sobriety has taught me is that I need, I need to live from the inside out because only when I'm taking care of myself will, you know, the outside start to manifest in like the best ways possible. That's very true. That's very true. And so like moving forward after that, like, cause you came back mm-hmm. right, from France. Um, what's, what's life been like after that experience? It uh, seems like a mini spiritual experience in and of itself too. It yeah. was, yeah. it was, I did a lot of work on myself during that time. Um, and being on my own for the first time like that, for an extended period amount of time was really helpful to kind of reconnect and rekindle that relationship with my deeper self with the capital S. Um, and so I got back, well, after the program had finished for this school year, I did this, I want, I had planned on doing this backpacking trip with my dad called the Camino de Santiago, which is the way in English. Um, and it's this backpacking trip through the north of Spain, which was also a really spiritual kind of thing um, that I had heard about um, and knew I wanted to do. And my town that I was in in France was almost right where the, the Camino started. So it was kind of perfect, you know, timing and placement and everything. Nice. So my dad came over. We did the Camino. I thought I was going to do the whole thing. I ended up getting hurt, so I had to stop. Um during this time, I also got into a relationship with someone in recovery. Um, and so I got back and I was just kind of confused as to like what next steps were because mm-hmm. I had wanted to find the answer through walking the Camino and I had to stop. I didn't really get any of the answers I was looking for, um, which was great because, you know, part of the journey is enjoying it and, you know, you're not going to get what you're looking for exactly when you're looking for it. Yeah. And I, I think too, like, you know, you can't, you can't force the experience. Mm-hmm. That's something about all spiritual experiences. Like they're never forced. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we like f- to control things, you know, oh, as alcoholics. Of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And so what, what, what was the, you know, what was the bigger lesson through all of it? Are you, are you still searching for them? The bigger lesson was I, I think I know what's best for me, but I don't. And only when I like surrender and let go to my higher power as well for me is when the actual like real beautiful, tangible things start to happen. Mm-hmm. So I thought after that I was going to move to LA, start teaching yoga down there, um, get like a regular nine to five job. And that didn't happen at all. Um, I did go and get my yoga teaching certification in Bali, which was amazing. Another really healing and spiritual experience. Bali, like across the globe, Bali? Yeah, Bali, Indonesia. Um, I came back and I taught yoga for a while. And then I 
was called to move to San Francisco and I didn't really know why, but I, I went and got into recovery there. Then I started to really get involved with young people's meetings, which was amazing. Um, and, uh, and do you do the whole ACUPAW and young people's committees? I, I didn't get on any committees, oh, okay. um, but yeah, I, I, I've kind of been bouncing around a lot, so it's hard to get like super involved. Right. <laughs> well, it's commi- like it's a, I mean, there's like it's a commitment too. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's been like kind of three months, and then like on to the next thing for right, me. Right. Right. Um, but San Francisco was like the biggest like healing thing because um, I didn't know this, but um, like my higher power had led me there partially because I needed to do this sort of amends for myself with um the guy who raped me um he was living in san francisco as well and um i woke up one morning and i hadn't been thinking about this at all i never thought i would see him again or talk to him again or whatever but i woke up one morning and i just like felt the need to have this conversation with him and not make amends because i didn't do anything wrong but to kind of sit down with him and let him know like what had happened wasn't okay. It had affected me in these ways. I'm doing all this work on myself, but I never want that to happen to someone else ever again. So kind of, yeah, talking through that. And that was the hardest conversation oh, yeah, I, bet. I have ever had. Um, and I was like emotionally hungover for days after that. But it was like putting alcohol on the wound. Like it, it was what I needed to fully start to heal up that part of me. Um, and it was amazing and I, I couldn't have done it without like the support and help of like my sponsor and the program and, um, the fellowship. Um, but yeah, it, and, and it's still a work in progress. Like you never, like some things are, I'm going to, I'm going to have to keep dealing with, with for the rest of my life. But, um, it's, you know, it's helpful than it's more helpful than doing nothing about it or trying to run away from right. it. Well, and it's always like it, you know, working on ourselves is a never ending thing. Yeah. Growing as, as a person is a never ending thing. You know, there's always, there's always more things to do. But what's interesting is what, what, I, what I'm kind of like seeing too is like in your story is that like you never just close off that, that, that spiritual connection and you mm-hmm. never say, okay, I'm done for right now. Yeah. I'm done working on myself right now. I'm good. I'm good. I put in all this work. I'm fine. You know, <laughs> no, it's always like a constant like growth. And that's kind of like a good thing too. Like for, for anyone, you know, because, uh, I mean, dude, people in long-term sobriety, like, we never know, like, if, you know, if we're going to, you know, relapse, you know what I mean? Like, off mm-hmm. something stupid that we could have fixed a long time ago. Right. Or something that, like, keeps on presenting itself and we keep on pushing it off to the side, mm-hmm. you know? Well, my but, wait, my big word in, like, sobriety has been connection. And, um Early on in sobriety, I heard the theory that addiction is just a lack of connection. Yeah. Oh, there's a there's a killer TED talk on that. Hmm. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, I don't even know. I'm gonna have to post it on yeah. The, on let the me description know. of the episode. Sounds cool. It's really good. He like breaks it down. It's like the number one thing that I've heard it in every single rehab that I've ever went to. Mm. They always play the stupid TED talk, and like <laughs> after like the like the third time, it was just like come on. But it's true. Yeah. It's 100% true. Mm-hmm. And know? so I, I got this this tattoo on my wrist, um, and it's two triangles interlocking, um, which I found is like the symbol for a connection. Mm-hmm. And so it's my little reminder for myself to not only stay connected to my inner self, but also to my higher power. Because as long as I stay centered and grounded in those two things, um, I don't need to drink. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's why the fellowship works. That's why AA works. Mm-hmm. That's why any 12-step recovery thing works yeah because the number one thing is is you know fellowship yes right you know we can't we can't we can't grow as a person if we don't help someone else out exactly it's like this never-ending like cycle of just like continued growth and it just like spreads and helps tons of people yeah and there are times when i'm like ugh, i don't want to like keep working on myself and helping myself or whatever and i'm just like <laughs> fuck it all but then like, I always want to be there for my sponsee. And so we'll do a reading together, and that'll help me, like, get back into it, you know? Right. Um, right. So when I don't want to do it for myself, I do it for other people, and, and that helps me stay in, like, the middle of the boat, like they say. Mm-hmm. And actually, I've been doing more meetings now than I did in the very beginning. 
Um, so I've been, <laughs> I've been, I've been doing like a Zoom meeting a day now with the pandemic. Yeah, and how's that? Like for someone, <laughs> someone who's like, it seems like you, like you, because you went to a lot of meetings before, right? Yes. So what, um, what like, what does it look like now with this whole coronavirus thing? You know, it's weird for sure. It's definitely weird. I know a lot of people don't get the same things out of a Zoom meeting that they do at an in-person meeting. Well, it's that goes back to that connection. Exactly. Like I for, for me for like I I hate the Zoom meetings. Mm-hmm. I think they're terrible. Like I get it. Like they're they're all we have, mm-hmm. right? Like meetings just started opening up like out in out in, you know, cities around, but like for the most part like they're still primarily on Zoom. But there's no connection there. Yeah. There's no connection whatsoever. Like they'll sometimes open up the ends at the end, but like I mean, what's like how how have you been dealing with like pandemic and and maybe that's and, why I have been going to more meetings because I need more of it. Um, like one meeting isn't enough anymore. I need like to constantly be like in it. They are more convenient. They are more I'll, convenient. I'll give them that. But when when homeboys <laughs> like leaves his mic on and then starts yelling at his dogs and everything, it's like, come on. like yeah, it just ruins the whole vibe. Yeah, so. for sure. Um. And I also guess there's something in acceptance that I have to work on. We'll see. Yeah, tolerance and love. Uh, something like that. <laughs> uh, it's also hard for me to not multitask because I'm on my computer when I'm on Zoom. And I mm. could be doing a million things at the same time, but I don't right. get the same thing out of the meeting if I do that. Right. And the, the other big thing is, like, you get what you put into it, like, mm-hmm. the program. Um, yeah. as, as hard as you work it, that's, like, as much... The results as you're going to get out. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like a it's a it's a cycle too because the more you put in the more results you see and then you want to keep on putting in more and more mm-hmm. yeah and 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 not to stop before the miracle happens that's been like a huge thing for me too yeah well I feel like the miracle sometimes just keeps on happening like it's it just every keeps day on, it keeps yeah. on growing like and just changing and like I don't know it's it's a trip it's a trip it's like um there's this now that I've been sober for like a little bit knock on wood um, that's not wood. <laughs> Where's what? I'll, I'll do right. my head. Okay. Yeah, that works. Um, I just notice these like little things that are like magical that I never would have noticed before. Like in everyday kind of situations. Like have you ever like stopped to stare at like an ant or like an insect or something? I did this 10-day meditation retreat when I was in Nepal. We couldn't talk to each other for 10 days. And my what? senses just were so heightened. And so I was staring at this ant and it was just like so beautiful, like this matte black, huge ant. <laughs> like, like, oh, on the one of the big, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think too that like there's, well, like you always say like the expression like stop and stop and smell the flowers, mm-hmm. right? When you're going about your life and then for me as an, as an alcoholic and an addict, it's my mind always goes to, it's all about me. Yeah. I'm always thinking about what I'm doing wrong, what I'm doing right, what I need to work on, what's like, what's a, what's problems are in my life, you know, how am I going to solve them, how I'm not going to solve them and avoid them, right? There's a million things that go on and I don't just stop and think about reality. Yes. At all. Absolutely. At all. And another thing going off of well, that. And real quick, you said a snail. Okay. I, I, I was thinking about this the other day, right? <laughs> so I was chilling on my little patio in my apartment and the snail slimed or slithered, whatever they do up on, I'm on the second story, slimed up to the top balcony where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking at this thing and I was like, dude, he put in all this work just to get to the top of this balcony where there is no food for it. And it was just like, kind of like, I don't know. It was like, dude, did I you look like, up the significance of snails? No, but I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was like a cool, like realization for me because like I had that time I was, I, I, there's there's certain things in my life that I'm like overly stressing about and there's nothing that's going to do or change if I stress less or more about them but mm-hmm. I'm still stressing about them and then I look at this snail and I'm like dude this fucking snail is me I put in all this work <laughs> sliming all the way up to the top of this balcony like up the handrail just to, just for there to be no effort there's no reward in it I'm the only difference is that I'm like way farther away from where I should be and it only is hurting me no one else. Or yeah. maybe he just wanted to enjoy the view. Maybe, but then like he's got to go all the way back down. You know what I mean? It's not a pretty view. I live in Tower District in Fresno. It's <laughs> it's kind of ghetto. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. It's just but like but those things, right? Like we 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 cut ourselves off from all these little lessons and all these little like experiences because we're so like 
you know, at least for me, I can't speak about anyone else, but for me, I'm so tunnel visioned, mm-hmm. right? I, don't, I think everyone's more or less tunnel visioned, especially yeah. in America too. You know, like we're so like dri- like driven to be like making sure that we're good and forgetting about everyone else and everything else and mm-hmm. just focusing on focusing on us. Independence. Yeah. 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 Um, the thing that was important for me to make the distinguish or di- to distinguish the difference between was um, thinking about my like okay so humility the way my sponsor described it is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less often and that was super mm-hmm. helpful for me because um, I think a lot of women um, are really self-critical and hard on themselves and I was like I was my biggest critic when I was drinking and I was like so hard on myself and like always beat myself up about, about things. Um, and, um, now that I'm sober, the, a big thing that has helped me in my journey has been loving myself and accepting myself just exactly the way I am. Right. Um, and so like there's a difference I think between thinking about yourself in like a selfish way and thinking about yourself in like a self-care way. So hmm. what... That's a good point. Because yeah. we always need more self-care because like you said, we always have more healing that we need to do. Right. But if we are thinking of ourselves in like a selfish way, like how can I get something out of this situation? Um, then that's that's what we want to stay away from. But um, it's important to focus on yourself because that's the only thing you can really change. That's the only thing you have control over is yourself. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's what like sobriety teaches us too. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you know, drugs and alcohol are a perfect coping mechanism to a world that we cannot accept by ourselves. And so then like when you practice on learning how to just accept what's going on in you, mm-hmm. you don't need to worry about what else is going on. Exactly. But the, that's the, that's the catch though mm-hmm. is that like it's this constant process like you know one day you could be good and be like yeah dude whatever's happening is fine i'm okay with me yeah and then the next day it's like oh man dude this and that and that and i can't you know do anything about this or that you know and it's yes. just like it's just a constant cycle and so know? when i go through those cycles and um, what what's helpful for me is thinking about like am i living out of a state of fear or am i living out of a state of love so when I was drinking, I was living out of a state of complete fear. I was scared of what people were thinking of me. I was scared of my depression. I was scared of failing at life. Um, and since I've gotten sober, I'm trying to live from a more loving place. Like, how can I love myself in the best way? How can I love the people around me? How can I do the most loving, next right thing? Mm-hmm. Then those results are going to be so much better. Um, and... So when I am feeling down, it's like, am I scared about something or, you know, am I feeling down and am I going to help myself out by giving myself love rather than like beating myself up about being depressed? Right. It's however you, however you want to react to that situation. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Okay. And, and I've found that in every instance, like love is the answer. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like romantic love or whatever. I mean like just full, like full on love. <laughs> yeah no absolutely it it um it's like i don't know you hear it all the time yeah it's super cliche right and it does it like it but it's true yeah, yeah. it's that's the thing like uh, aa has all of these cliches but they're all so true and they're so helpful right right no, once absolutely. you get past the cheesiness of it. yeah exactly exactly <laughs> well okay so that we're coming towards the end of the show but i wanted there there was a couple things that I want to touch on because like, I think it, they're, they were so important. Right. So first thing, see if I can remember everything. It was, there was a lot. You got this after, <laughs> thank you. After you got sober, you went to France, mm-hmm. Spain, mm-hmm. Bali Yep. for the, the yoga thing. Right? right. Um, and I just got back from a Southeast Asia trip, Southeast Asia, San Francisco, mm-hmm. all sober. Yes. And had all these crazy, incredible experiences. Mm-hmm. That I could not have had. Uh, drink, drinking. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, that's, 
I don't know. That's my takeaway from this episode. I don't know what else anyone, <laughs> anyone else who's listening takes away from it. But but it's like it really does go to show that like, you know, just because you get sober doesn't mean the world is over. Right. In fact, it, you know, it gets bigger and gets, better. Yeah. It just grows, you know, immensely. And because uh, you have all this extra time too. All the time I used and, to spend getting money, 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 exactly. Shit's expensive. Yeah. Good habits, expensive. So, so yeah. So like all these things are are possible, right? There's endless possibilities, right? As mm-hmm. long as you stay sober, there's gonna be even more endless possibilities. Exactly. You know. Um. So you know, at the end of every episode, we gotta hear the Ariana nugget of, of lesson. I don't even know how, what I'm going to call it yet, but it's this new <laughs> thing I'm doing in season two. Um, one like, like nugget of just wisdom, maybe a lesson you've learned, something that like you feel like has has changed you in your sobriety forever. Something that has helped me even within the past few like days is everything that I've ever looked for or wanted or thought I needed I can find within myself and I can give to myself when I'm connected to myself and my higher power that's powerful yeah well right on right on (laughs) so at the end of episode every episode two now I let the um the guests lead us out in a serenity prayer great so whenever you're ready all right a moment of silence for those still suffering from this disease God, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. All right. Well, thank you again for hopping Sorry, on the Sorry, I switched show. it to the we. <laughs> I do like the we better. I like the we better than the I. Like we were saying. Uh, a fun thing for the pandemic is uh, illness turns to wellness when we change the I to we. Oh, that's nice. I'm going to steal that. Go for it. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. You know, season two, episode two, we out here. I love all the listeners. Thank you guys for all your support. I can't say enough. Like you make this, you make this podcast the podcast it is today just by listening. You know, everyone rocking the merch. Thank you. I love you guys. Brings me so much joy seeing my shirts around town. You know, and um, and on social media and everything. You know, give us a follow. Sicker than most podcast. No caps, no spaces on Instagram. If you have a story you want to share. If you have any input, negative or positive, feel free to choose a DM, leave us a comment. Um, and yeah, man, I love you guys. Stay strong. Peace.